Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, February 28th, 2021, we continue our new series titled Uncommon Joy, the Book of Philippians. Today's sermon, Obstacles and Opportunities, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager out of Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Enjoy. Um, Question for you. I don't know if you ever heard this Mike Tyson quote. Go ahead and finish it if you know the quote. Mike Tyson famously said, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. (laughs) Everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Now for boxing, that's certainly true. You think you've got a game plan and then you get one good right hook and you start questioning everything. Uh, That kind of happens to us in life too, right? You set out on the right course, you have a plan, you have a strategy, you're executing the plan, everything is going well and then it's like life punches you in the face. It's a hard left turn, a hard right turn that you didn't see coming and then you're left trying to figure out like what do I do next? And it happens to us all the time. Maybe you put all of your eggs in that one basket to try to get into that school. Because if you got into that school and that program, surely it would set your life out on the right course and everything would be great for there. And then you didn't get in. Or that guy or that girl who you thought was supposed to be the one. They were not the one. And it doesn't work out or maybe your executive board decides to take the company in a totally different direction than the direction you had originally established it on. Or it's a family in your church that you love and ministered to and with for so long, suddenly they decide that they're looking for something else and they leave. You have a bad doctor's appointment with your kid and you find out they're sick. You could be wrongfully accused of something. That buyer or that seller who gave you a gentleman's handshake was not a gentleman and they backed out. Maybe you got fired or laid off with budget cuts and COVID and everything else that we've gone through over the last year and a half. Life is full of these metaphorical face punches. And for Paul, everything is going well. He knows his mission. He knows the plan. He's executing, man, firing on all cylinders. God has told him, man, I'm saving you. Now you go and preach the gospel all over the world. So he's going country to country, seeing people come to faith uh, in Jesus Christ. And he's appointing pastors and elders and establishing churches. And these churches are going out and doing wonderful gospel ministry, caring for the sick, caring for the hurting, caring for the poor, the orphan, the widow, all of the things. And people are coming to faith like crazy. And everything is going well. And then Paul gets arrested. For what? For preaching the gospel. And he's thrown in prison. Everything is going according to plan. And then he gets punched in the face. What we see this morning in verses 12 through 18 is his response. Yes, he sees there's an obstacle. But what Paul does is reframe the obstacle and not just sit in it, but look to the opportunity that God has for him in the obstacle. And friends, I think God has that for us this morning as well. Whatever obstacle we might be going through this morning, or maybe you're just coming out of an obstacle, there's an opportunity for something inside of it, and that's what I want us to find this morning. First, or Philippians chapter one, verses 12 through 18. Let me read it, I'll pray, uh, and ask for God's help, and then we'll dive into the study. He says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, and to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. 
The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Let's pray. God, though it's my voice that's been heard, we know it's your word that's been spoken. And this morning, we trust in your word as the authority for our life. God, we trust it in such a way that we believe to disbelieve or disobey the Bible is to disbelieve or disobey you. And God, we don't want to do that this morning. We want to follow you, honor you, obey you, and walk in the life that you'd have us live. Holy Spirit, I ask this morning that you'd open our eyes so we can see you, our ears that we'd hear you, our minds that we would know you, and open up our hearts that we would respond in love with the life that seeks to glorify you and follow you in everything we say and do. God, our aim this morning is your glory and your glory alone. Help us do this in the name of your son, Jesus. All God's people said, amen. Philippians chapter one, verses 12 through 18. We're gonna see how Paul sees his obstacle also as opportunity. Uh, And then at the end, we'll close with some helpful ways to help us do the same. We start in verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, this is Paul's way of saying, listen up. This is really important. Don't miss this. I want you to know this. So if you get one thing, brothers, that's Christians in the church, listen to this one thing. He says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Two questions I want to answer real quick. What has happened to Paul? And then secondly, what's the gospel? First question, what has happened to Paul? Paul's been arrested. Okay, everything is going great. I mean, God has given him a plan. He's executing a plan, great strategy. I'm gonna get to Rome. If I get to Rome, gospel's gonna spread everywhere. He gets to Rome, but he does it through a jail cell. He's thrown in jail. He's writing this letter from prison to the church in Philippi. That's what's happened to Paul. Not a great thing. And you start to wonder, like, wait a minute. Isn't that guy, like, walking in God's will? Shouldn't it be smooth sailing, easy breezy, cover girl type of life for the apostle Paul? Right, if he's doing the things God said to do, shouldn't it be easy or shouldn't it go well for him? And that's just not the case. We're never promised a smooth sailing, easy life. We're actually told quite opposite. John chapter 16, verse 33, you can write this down in your notes. Uh, Jesus told his disciples this, in the world, you'll have tribulation. Your translation might say trouble. In this world, you're gonna have trouble. We're gonna face obstacles. Bad things are gonna happen. We're gonna get punched in the face. Jesus says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Yes, you're gonna face hard things, but Jesus has overcome the hard things. So where's Paul? He's currently facing an obstacle. He's writing from a jail cell. Second question, what's the gospel? What's the gospel? If what has happened to Paul has served to advance the gospel, we gotta figure out what this thing is. And as Christians, it's really important we know the gospel so when something comes along that's not quite the gospel, we can recognize it for what it is. I read a stat this last week that at the 2020 Super Bowl, they seized like upwards of $125 million worth of counterfeit merchandise, most of which had come in from overseas. And the way they recognize it is not from spending lots of time with counterfeit merchandise. They spend lots of time with the real thing. They know what a real jersey feels like and how heavy it is. They know the stitching. They know the tags. They know the real team logos. They know the quality of the things that they're selling in these shops. So when the fake stuff shows up, they can see it. For us as Christians, we've got to know the gospel. So when something fake comes along or something that's almost the gospel comes along, you and I are able 
to recognize it. So what's the gospel? I wanna teach you the gospel uh, in something that's commonly referred to as the Romans Road. This is how I learned to study and memorize the gospel as a child. Uh, I still think of it this way today. So if you wanna know how to memorize the gospel, write down Romans Road in your notes and then jot these things down. What's the gospel? The word gospel comes from the Greek word which means good news. It's the good news about Jesus, and the good news actually begins with bad news. Romans chapter three, verse 23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone, like the sweetest person here in church on Sunday right now, still a sinner. Like your grandma who helped raise you in the things of the Lord, still a sinner. Your mom, your dad, obviously, still a sinner. Everyone is, well, what's sin? Sin is this. God has set a standard for us in the Old Testament called the law, and when we break God's rules, we break his law. And God has all sorts of laws he's told us to abide by. He says, hey, don't do these things. The problem is you and I, we like to do those things. He says, don't touch. We kind of want to touch. Okay, and then God says, okay, don't do this, but do this. And the things God tells us to do, we really don't want to do those things. So we've got a problem. We are living a life contrary to what God would have us live. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We miss that mark of perfection which God commands. And there's consequences for that. Romans chapter six, verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. A wage is like uh, a payment, right? So if you go to a job, you get paid. If you work eight hours for 10 bucks an hour, uh, which I think is illegal now or whatever, uh, you make 80 bucks. That's your wage, and then Uncle Sam takes too much of it, and now you're left with like a nickel and a half. So um, super, super cool thing we have happening here. Uh, so that's your wage. That's what you earn. That's what you get. Now our sins, they earn us a wage, and the Bible says the wage is death. That's why when you read through the Old Testament, especially the first five books, the Pentateuch, we see the Torah, the law, all the stuff, there's all these sacrifices going on, which are kind of gross. The wages of sin is death. So in the Old Testament, they'd sin, the wage would have to be death. There needed to be a sacrifice. Our sins also demand a sacrifice. They demand payment. They demand death. So the second half of Romans 6.23 says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter five, verse eight says, but God demonstrated his love for us in this because real love is demonstrative, right? It's not just this internal thing, it's this external outworking of the love we actually have for people. But God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, doing the things he says not to do and not doing the things he says to do, Christ died for us. He paid the penalty for our sin. Romans chapter 10, verses nine and 10 says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, and that doesn't just mean like we believe that he was real or believe that he existed. Believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we trust in him, then we shall be saved. Okay, but it's that and do all the right things, right? Make sure I tip these eternal scales in the right direction so God says, good job on your life, welcome into my courts of praise. That's not how it works at all. Ephesians chapter two actually tells us by grace we've been saved through faith, not by works, not of our own doing, so no one can boast. It's, it's not about us working our way towards God. It's all about God working his way towards us. About him dying a death that you and I deserve to die. About him coming back to life to defeat death so that you and I can truly live in Christ. So what's the gospel? That's the gospel. That Jesus came and lived a perfect life we can't live that he died the death you and I deserve to die, that he didn't stay dead, he rose from the dead to defeat death so you and I can truly live in Christ and when we confess with our mouth and believe in Jesus, then we're saved. 
And Paul says, brothers, I want you to know what has happened to me, me being thrown in jail, has actually served to advance the good news. The good news is actually going out in ways I never anticipated. Like I thought the plan was this, God had different plans, and that plan was actually way better. You've probably experienced this on some level. We'll get to it a little bit later. He starts to see his obstacle, not just as an obstacle, but as an opportunity for something more, and he sees this in three ways. The first way Paul sees his obstacle as opportunity is an opportunity to share the gospel with a new audience. It's the opportunity to share the gospel with a new audience. Paul's mission, his mission was preach Jesus. Preach Jesus. Wherever you go, just preach Jesus. So to land in prison, that's fine. That's a new audience he hadn't had previously. Verse 13, so that, it's advancing to serve the gospel. Here's how. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Okay, who are these guys? This imperial guard and this all the rest thing going on. Think of the imperial guard as like the secret service of the day. Okay, they'd guard uh, the king, the Caesar, the emperor, the boss. They'd guard all, they, that, they were their personal, private security. Okay, they guarded them, but they also guarded like their stuff. They also guarded their family. They also guarded their household. They also guarded their assets and all of their special interests. Paul, in this case, was Caesar's special interest, so he had his own little imperial guard. And historians tell us that this guard would probably shift change every 10 to 12 hours. So for Paul, he is now a captive with a pretty captive audience. He's got one new guy every 10 to 12 hours. And for him, the mission's the same. Preach the gospel, share Jesus, talk about my faith, love this person for 10 hours. Then the next person comes along. I can still do that with this person. It was a new opportunity to share the gospel. And for Paul, this was effective enough to the point we get to the end of the book in chapter four, verse 22, and it says, hey, uh, all the brothers greet you, especially those, the members of the household of faith in Caesar's household. Okay, the goal was get to Rome so the gospel can go everywhere. He got to Rome in different ways than he anticipated because now he's in prison, but somehow the gospel has gone from his jail cell into Caesar's house. Maybe, just maybe, one of these imperial guards he had shared the gospel with came to saving faith and then brought it into Caesar's house as he was guarding something else and began speaking of Jesus and these things that were going on. And you see the domino effect of just sharing the gospel with one person and seeing what can happen. For him, it's a new opportunity to share the gospel with a new audience. Secondly, it's an opportunity for believers to grow their confidence in Christ. Believers grow their confidence in Christ. Verse 14 says, and, so not only like am I sharing the gospel a bunch, like it's an opportunity for me to share the gospel, and most of the brothers, not all of them, not all the brothers, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. This is crazy. So I've been thrown in prison and I'm preaching the gospel because it's a new gospel opportunity and people are here, they're hearing that I'm in prison still preaching the gospel and, and their confidence in the Lord has increased because of my imprisonment. Now, maybe that's not a story you've experienced personally, but you've probably experienced something where your faith in Christ is strengthened because of someone else's struggle, right? Or maybe someone else's faith was strengthened because of your struggle, you had a friend or family member going through a really bad thing and, and they were on fire. And it, it, it was that type of thing where like, I just don't know how they keep that attitude. They're pointing everything back to Christ. I just, it's, it's so inspiring. 
and your faith is strengthened from it. My wife and I experienced this uh, about four years ago when our daughter Audrey ended up in the ICU for two weeks and y'all were praying like crazy and we had friends praying like crazy and sharing it on Facebook like crazy and we had people all over the country who we had never met praying for our little girl. And the stories we heard about other people's faith being strengthened because of our struggle were amazing. We didn't even know these people but people's prayer lives were totally transformed. People's trust in the Lord, totally transformed, just from the struggle that we were going through. Okay, and for Paul, he says, yeah, it's an obstacle, but there's also an opportunity in this. People are growing in their faith. Their confidence is rightly placed in the Lord, but it's through my imprisonment. It's something you and I can experience even in this life as well. So Paul says there's an opportunity in this. Man, I'm preaching gospel a whole lot. I'm preaching the gospel a whole lot more. A lot of brothers and sisters in Christ, they're out there preaching the gospel a whole lot more. Yes, it's an obstacle and it really stinks, but there's an opportunity also inside of it. There's a third opportunity. He sees an opportunity to choose joy. Now we see this uh, in verse 18, but verses 15 through 17 really provide the context. So I'll give us those three verses first. Paul um, goes in on this little thing about messengers, motives, and messages, and how we know them, and, and some stuff like that. So let me read those verses. It says this, some indeed preach Christ, that's the gospel, this is the message we spoke of earlier. Some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter, the goodwill preachers, they do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. Do you see Paul still on point with his purpose? He's still right there. The purpose is the same. Defend the gospel, share the gospel. They know I'm here to share the gospel. The former proclaim Christ. This is the uh, envy rivalry preachers. They proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Now there's a lot going on here and we really don't know who he's talking about or what exactly he's talking about, but there's three things at play that we see. There's messengers with motives and a message. If you look up on the screen, we've broken it down like this. We've got envy rivalry preachers. We can call them the bad guys. And we've got goodwill preachers. We can call them the good guys. Now, the bad guys, they're preaching selfishly, right? Maybe their own fame, their own fortune, their more power, uh, more popularity, whatever it might be. That's the position they're preaching from. They do so insincerely, so they don't really mean it. They know the right words to say, so they say the right words, but they don't really mean it. They seek to inflict Paul in their preaching, which is interesting. Maybe they see themselves as, as an enemy of Paul, right? Paul's the guy preaching down the street, so I want to preach better than Paul. Now, if the guy down the street's preaching the gospel, I am so for the guy down the street as we should be. They also preach from pretense. It means it's false. Like, they don't, they don't even believe it. They think it's not even true, but they're preaching the message and the message of which they're preaching is still Christ, which is the gospel. This is the part that's confusing, right? Because you think the bad motive guys wouldn't preach the gospel. They'd preach something else. Then we've got the good guys. These are the goodwill preachers. They preach from love. They preach from a position of truth. And their message, it's the same. It's Christ. They also are preaching the gospel. Well, this is confusing. How do we figure it out then? If we got good guys and bad guys both preaching the same message, how do we figure them out? Jesus says it like this, Matthew chapter seven, verses 15 through 16. He says, beware of false prophets. These, these existed then, they also exist now. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. 
It's like a good Halloween costume. You ever seen a costume from a distance and you're like, wow, great costume. And then you get up close and you're like, not so much. Mom made that for sure. (laughs) You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? You can't recognize them from a distance. They look the same. The good guys and bad guys, when they're preaching the good message, the message of Christ, they look the same. But how do we recognize them? Jesus says we recognize them by their fruit. You recognize them by their fruit. If you get up close, you can see who they really are. Right, you can see the holes um, in that shaggy little costume they're wearing. You can see, you know, it looks like a sheep and smells like a sheep, but that thing ain't a sheep. I think that's a wolf. Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 30 says this, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock, the sheep, the church, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. There's the gospel again. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. This is what happened with Paul. He's locked up. Other people swoop in and try to steal sheep, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. And again, it's twisted. It's not always blatantly obvious that it's not the gospel. Looks like the gospel, smells like the gospel, but a little bit off. It's twisted. And they do so to draw away the disciples after them. They're not in it for Jesus. They're in it to gain their own following. They want their own fame. They want power. They want popularity. Okay, and any pastor, now I'm going off the cuff, any pastor who reviews preaching or this as a position of power has got it wrong. Pastors and preachers are not powerful, they're servants. That's what we've been called to do is to serve and care for, shepherd the flock of God which is among us, not pursue fame, not pursue glory, but point people to the one who deserves all the fame and point people to the one who deserves all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. That's what we're doing here this morning. We're here to worship Jesus. But amongst these people, you've got good guys and you've got bad guys, and they're both preaching the same gospel, and we're left wondering, but what about the motives? Now, if anyone has the right to question motives um, and go off on motives and heart dispositions and everything else, it's probably Paul. Okay, Paul's, this is God's chosen guy to change the world, right? You, he, he should stop and be like, let's talk about this motive thing for a second, but he doesn't. His main concern is the message. Is it the gospel or is it not? No, if it's not the gospel, Paul is seriously concerned about that and takes it very, very seriously. In Galatians chapter one, he says, hey, if anyone brings to you a different gospel, and he says, not that there is another one, there is no other good news, there is no other gospel, this is the gospel. But if someone presents to you a different gospel than what we've been presenting, which is the gospel I just shared, let them be accursed. Let God deal with them as harshly as he can. So he takes it seriously. You get the message wrong, you get the gospel wrong, not okay. But if it is the gospel, if it is Christ, well, then what do we do? Okay, what if it is the gospel, but you don't like their method? You don't like their delivery, you question their homiletic, you're just not sure. You don't like their preaching outline, you don't like how their words always start with the same letter. You don't like the way they dress, right? It's too trendy or it's not trendy enough. You don't like their hair. It's it's not on fleek or it's super on fleek. If you want to know what fleek means, ask my friends over here. They'll tell you all about fleek. It's 
too young, too old, too energetic, too boring, reads from his script, never looks at his script, not enough kids, way too many kids, too many Instagram followers, not enough Instagram followers. If it is the gospel, but we don't like their method, question their motive, here's Paul's instruction to us. Get over it. Here's what he says in verse 18. He says, what then? It's the same thing as saying, so what? So what? What does it matter? And then he answers, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, whether they do it falsely or they do it from a position of truth, only that in everything Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Paul's got every reason to nitpick and get frustrated with these guys who are preaching Christ from envy and rivalry. They've got selfish ambition. They don't even believe what they're saying. Instead, he chooses joy. Christ is being proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Yes, Paul has obstacles. He's in prison. I don't think he liked it. But what he does in this obstacle, he doesn't just sit and like sulk in the obstacle. He looks for opportunity. What's the opportunity here? Man, I can preach Christ to a new audience I never had before. And the brothers and sisters in Christ, man, they're becoming confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and they're going out and preaching Christ. And you know what? There's some bad guys out there who are trying to sweep in and steal people who are following me, but you know what? Christ is being proclaimed and I'm gonna rejoice about that. He takes the obstacle but looks for the opportunity. But that's Paul. He's amazing. He's the greatest missionary who ever lived. Of course he can take his obstacle and look for opportunity. But can we? Can we do that? Will Christ help us do that in our life? I think the answer is a resounding yes. We too can see our obstacles as opportunities for the gospel in our own life. First way we can do that, we need to believe God's way is always better. God's way is always better, not just sometimes, not most of the time, always his way is always better than our way. Isaiah chapter 55, verses eight and nine. God says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. His plan is better than our plan. I don't know if, you, if you're okay with uh, accepting this, but God is smarter than you. He's smarter than you. He doesn't just simultaneously hold our life in his hands. He holds all the lives next to us and all the lives around the world that is controlling all these different things you and I cannot fathom or comprehend. His way is better. If we're gonna see our obstacles as opportunities, we need to come, grips, come to grips with the fact that God's way is always better. Second thing, we need to look for the lesson. We need to look for the lesson, even in the obstacle. Is there something God's teaching me? Is he molding me? Is he shaping me? Is there something else God has for me in this? James chapter one, verses two through four. This is Jesus' brother, by the way. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, those are obstacles. Count it all joy when you meet obstacles of various kind. Well, what kind? The various kind. If it feels like a trial, if it hurts or causes pain or seems like an obstacle, something is standing in front of you and the next thing, that's a trial, that's an obstacle. 
And the instruction is to consider it joy. Why? For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And it's not about liking the, the obstacle. It's not like, well, this is so much fun. So happy I got laid off. So happy I didn't get into that school. So happy that guy or that girl was not the one. So happy my executive board is just not cool. So happy. It's not what God's calling us to. He's not calling us to just embrace the obstacle, but we should look for the opportunity on the other end. How many of you are moms in here? You've, you've had kids. You got kids, right? How many of you... Uh, how many of you went into the hospital with, with all of the pain in mind and you were like, I'm so excited for labor. I'm just so excited for the next 18 to however long hours where life is gonna be miserable. No. You didn't go in there like embracing the obstacle. You didn't go in there excited for pain, but what you went in for was the baby, the product of your pain the thing that came on the other end of it. That's what we look to, consider it joy. Why? Not because the obstacle in itself is great, but because the opportunity in it is awesome. God's gonna teach us something. We've got to look for the lesson. The third thing, we need to find joy in sharing Jesus. Find joy in sharing Jesus. This is what Paul did in chapter one, verse 12. He said, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel not particularly fond of what has happened to me, but it's provided some new opportunities I hadn't previously had. What if, just think of me real quick, what if God allowed you to go through that obstacle you're in now for the purpose of sharing the gospel with someone else? Just what if, what if that was the reason? What if God allowed you to suffer this like momentary, light momentary affliction in your life for the purpose of God using you as a conduit for his gospel, for his good news, to change the eternity of someone else? I mean, if that's the case, wouldn't we be willing to go through a light momentary affliction if it meant eternity for another person with Jesus? What if that's, I mean, if you think of the obstacle you're in, maybe it's a new job you just walked into. That is an, it's an, it's, it's an audience you hadn't had. Maybe God's uprooted you from somewhere else and brought you here to Scottsdale for your next position, your next job, and you've met some new neighbors. What if, what if the obstacle of you being laid off was actually meant for opportunity for you to minister to the people that you are around now? Yes, it's an obstacle. Yes, it's painful. The point is not to just ignore the pain and be like, no big deal. No, it's a big deal and it hurts. It hurts. But it's not just obstacle. There's also opportunity in it somewhere. We need to find joy in sharing Jesus. The fourth and final thing, we need to connect into community. We need to connect into community. If we're gonna see the obstacles we face in our life as opportunity, we are going to need people in our corner helping us see things the way we ought to see them. Philippians 1, three through five, Paul had already shared his gratitude for this church in Philippi. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Their partnership, Paul had his people he had his people. Do you have your people? Do you have people in your corner? 
You have people on your team. I don't know if you know this, Christianity is a team sport. It's a team sport. This isn't one of those just me against the world. No, it's you and Jesus and Jesus' massive army of people for the world. We're not fighting against people, we're fighting for people. And we're doing this together. We need to connect into community. It's why we preach a small group, connect into community all the time. Why? Because we need to have people in our corner for when these obstacles arise, to help us see the opportunity God has for us in them. And not just be all fake optimistic Christian like, hey, God's got it, which is true. But to have people in our corner say, man, I'm really sorry that you're going through this. This is awful. I love you. Can I care for you? Can I serve you? And being connected into community allows us to do the same exact thing. If we're going to see obstacles as opportunities in our life, and we are going to go through obstacles, we need to have our community in our corner. We need to have our people. Our lives will be full. I don't know if you've experienced this yet. Our lives will be full of these metaphorical face punches. If it hasn't happened yet, it's about to. (laughs) Something will happen. How do we handle it? Do we just sit in the obstacle? Do we just sulk in the pain? Or do we look for something that God might be doing? Do we see the opportunity? Do we believe God's way is always better? Do we look for the lesson he might have for us? Do we choose joy in sharing Jesus? Are we connected in community with people who will help us get through it? If we do those things, the obstacles we find in our life, God can reshape those so we can see opportunities that glorify him all the more. This morning, we're gonna celebrate the gospel by taking communion. Uh, So you should have received one of these communion cups on the way in. If you did not, you can just slip your hand up and someone will run a communion cup down to you. A little tricky, these communion cups. There's a couple little seals you gotta break to get there. Communion allows us to do a few different things. First, it gives us an opportunity to look back. To look back at what Christ has done on our behalf, that he came and lived the perfect life you and I tried to live but can't live. That he died the death that you and I deserve to die. That he didn't stay dead, he rose from the dead to defeat death so that you and I might truly live in Christ. We look back at what Christ has done. We celebrate the good news of the gospel. Secondly, we look in. We look into our own heart and we ask God to search us and know us. To find any sinful away that's inside of us and then we ask him to cast that away. We repent of our sin and we turn back to Jesus. We look back, we look in, and then thirdly, we look forward. We look forward because there will be a day with no more pain, No more fears, no more crying, no more obstacles where you and I dwell in perfect harmony, perfect relationship with Jesus forever. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was eating a meal with his disciples in an upper room and during the meal, Jesus grabbed a loaf of bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of him. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is my blood. It's the new covenant. As often as you do this, we do this in remembrance of him.
Jesus, this morning we do look back. We look back at what you've done for us. God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for doing what you did for us, not just on the cross, but with your life. God, thank you for being perfect. Jesus, you lived a perfect life, so you could be that sacrifice that our sins demand. You were the wage. The wage of our sin is death, and Jesus, you took our place on that cross. Jesus, thank you for defeating death by coming back to life so we could truly live with you in this life. God, we look in. God, we do repent. We repent of the many sins we've committed this week. Help us turn away from those things and not just turn from them, but turn towards something else and let that something else be you. Jesus, let our fix our eyes on you because you are the author and the finisher of our faith. God, help us keep our eyes fixed and focused on you this week, not the distractions and obstacles around us. And Jesus, we do look forward. We look forward to a day where there's no more obstacles, no more pain, no fear, no anxiety, no crying, just perfect relationship with you and your people. God, we respond uh, now by continuing in worship. God, help us live lives that don't just worship you now through song, but worship you throughout this week, that we would seek to bring you all the glory, honor, and praise through everything we say and everything we do. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. Hey, maybe this morning you want to respond to faith in Jesus. Maybe you want to believe that good news for the first time in your life, or maybe this morning you want to turn from the life you've been living and turn back to Jesus, we would love to assist you um, and just be a part of that wonderful process and helping you come back to Jesus. If that's you this morning, um, I'm gonna be down front. We'll have pastors around. You can find someone with a lanyard on and say, hey, I just wanna take a step and follow Jesus. We would love to help you do that this morning. Well, church, um, you're either currently in an obstacle, exiting an obstacle, or about to enter into another one. Um, So I hate to burst your bubble there, but that's just the reality of life. So in the obstacles that you face potentially this afternoon, today, tomorrow, this week, this month, this year, this life, may each of us always know and believe that God's way is better. Would we look for the lesson in the obstacle and see the opportunity? Would we find joy in sharing Jesus with potentially a new audience? And would all of us be connected in community? All for his glory and his glory alone. We love you guys. Love each other. Have a great week.